It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome back to the Other Half podcast, and to its second season, Mothers of World War I, the daughters and granddaughters of Queen Victoria. I've been away for far too long, and a bunch of stuff is still in flux in my life. New job, house hunting, longer commuting, family stuff, it's all change. But it's so nice to be getting back into the swing of the podcast. As I said at the end of the last episode, this series will be on a fortnightly schedule now. This is mainly because my current work schedule, not to mention personal life, has gotten a whole lot more hectic recently, meaning that I can't quite keep up my old pace. Once I get into the swing of things, I hope to increase the number of episodes, but until then, you get a new episode every two weeks. This does mean, though, that episodes may get a little longer, as I'll have a little bit more time to put them all together. This is not the only change, though. You may have noticed that I've changed the music around a bit, putting the title music at the start. This is because, for this second season, I'm going to introduce a series-specific bit of music to go along with it, to help you get in the mood and all that. Since we're dealing with European royalty, and the fact that it's very Anglo-Germanic in origin, I have chosen Handel's Zadok the Prince, written for the coronation of George II, Victoria's great-grandfather, in 1727. It has been used in every British coronation since, and was also used as the bridal processional at the wedding of Crown Prince Frederick of Denmark and Mary Donaldson. I'm going to use it in the old spot where the music went between my start of podcast introduction and beginning of episode proper. And since we've reached that point now, I guess it's time to hear it. Twenty eighteen marks one hundred years since the end of a conflict 
that has been known throughout history by many names. The Great War, the War of Nations, the War to End All Wars. But it is best known as the First World War or World War I. It was a war that shattered empires and dynasties. It killed somewhere in the region of 18 million people and saw around 41 million casualties in total, both military and civilian. Some 16% of the population of Serbia, 4% of France and Germany, and 2% of Britain all perished. All the numbers associated with this war are simply staggering. After the war ended, memorials were erected across Europe and the world to commemorate the dead, and entrench the notion that nothing that destructive should ever happen again. Remembrance Sunday in the UK, Veterans Day in the US, and Armistice Day in France all have their roots on marking the time on the 11th hour of the 11th day in the 11th month in 1918, when the guns stopped firing and the killing ended. This series is not about World War I. The conflict is a colossal spectre that hangs over the story, though, that I will be telling over the next few weeks and months. It oversaw a complete transition in the political makeup of the continent, seeing the movement of a Europe away from being a continent of monarchies and empires to being one of republics. Even the ones that survived found their positions chastened and weakened. The conflict had largely been ushered in by absolute monarchs, and it led to their overthrow, and in some cases, death. What marks this conflict apart from World War II is that this war can be seen as being a much a war amongst a large extended family as it was between nations. Before the war, the monarchs of Britain, Russia, Germany, Norway and Spain were all first cousins. Indeed, George V of the UK and Wilhelm II of Germany were both grandsons of Queen Victoria. The kings of Denmark and Greece were uncles of George V. His sister was Queen of Norway, and other relatives ruled in kingdoms as far removed as Bulgaria and Belgium. The ruling families of Europe, especially those of Britain and Germany, had been interwoven by a series of marriage alliances, all designed to keep the peace and ensure prosperity and stability. They would meet together in great big family reunions. They would even go on holiday together. But it would, eventually, all fall apart. This series is an examination of the women in this enormous extended family, whose tentacles extended into almost every European monarchy in the second half of the 19th century. The series will keep the same style as the first season, a series of biographical mini-series covering each woman in turn. But instead of going chronologically down a ruling dynasty, as covering every woman in the family of Queen Victoria will probably take years, it will look at a select series of different women in different nations, united by blood, but divided by loyalties to their new houses. But before we get into that good stuff, I'd like to give you a little more detail on the structure of this series. The rest of today's episode will give you a bit of a background to the situation in Europe within which all this action will take place. Then, next time, we will look at Queen Victoria, the matriarch of this whole series, and at her life, family and descendants. From there, we will first look at three of the daughters of Queen Victoria, starting with her eldest, Vicky, the Princess Royal, who had married the heir to the Kingdom of Prussia, and would give birth to, amongst others, Kaiser Wilhelm II, and we'll then go on to look at Alice, the wife of the Duke of Hesse, mother of some fascinating daughters, and pioneer of a great number of women's causes. 
And then, finally, Beatrice, the last daughter of Queen Victoria, who would live right up until 1944. We will then move down a generation and look at some of their daughters, including the future consorts of Russia, Greece and Spain. The one that I'm most looking forward to covering, as I'm sure you will be too, will be the Empress Alexandra Fyodorovna, also known as Alex of Hesse, the final Tsarina of Russia. We will also look at some of Queen Victoria's other granddaughters, including Queen Marie of Romania. I'm not going to commit to a full list yet, as I want to remain flexible. Please do tell me if there are any you definitely want me to cover in this series, and I'll definitely have a look at including them. It's going to be a grand tour of the monarchies of Europe at the twilight of their existence. The 20th century has seen a bonfire of European monarchies, with only a very few, mostly in the Northwest and Scandinavia, surviving, and many of the characters that we will be covering certainly played their part in the fall. The First World War will not feature in every story, but it does feature as the focal point in a great number of them. But never fear, this isn't going to turn into a military history podcast. That is not what we are all about here. So, I reckon that's about enough intro. Let's get going with this new series. In the words of Bilbo Baggins, Now, where to begin? Prior to the start of World War I, Europe had seen an almost unprecedented era of peace. The story of early modern Europe takes place against the backdrop of fairly regular general war between whichever powers happened to be dominant at the time. Conflicts like the Thirty Years' War, Wars of Spanish Succession, Great Northern War, Seven Years' War, were fought not just on the European continent, but increasingly on the high seas and in colonies as well. Nations fought in various configurations, with pretty much all the major powers fighting in alliance with, and opposed to, each and every one of them. These were not quite the total wars of the 20th century, but they came close. This all culminated with a series of wars between first revolutionary and then Napoleonic France and her satellites against Britain and her various allies between 1792 and 1815. Revolutionary France did not just present a military threat to the great powers of Europe. Britain, Prussia, Russia and Austria were all monarchies, though Britain's was different in that hers was a constitutional monarchy, where power really lay in an elected parliament. The French Revolution had toppled the most august monarchy in Europe, ending the rule of the Bourbons, and led to an execution of a king and queen, and murder by neglect of the heir. The calls for liberty, equality, brotherhood and republicanism posed an existential threat that would not be matched until the rise of communism. When the Emperor Napoleon was finally defeated in 1814, he faced the armies of Prussia, Russia and Austria coming in from the east, and those of Britain, Spain and Portugal from the south. And he would have faced a similar onslaught after his grand return the following year, had he not been defeated quickly at Waterloo by an Allied army led by the Duke of Wellington. The victorious powers met together at the Congress of Vienna, where together they sought to redraw the boundaries of Europe that had been thrown into such flux by France's wars, and settle on a system by which order could be restored to the continent. I'm going to quickly introduce these main powers to you now, as many of them are no longer in the form that they were in the 1850s, when our story really starts. We will start with Great Britain, which was in its absolute height of international prominence. She was unique amongst the great powers of Europe, as I've already said, 
in that while she was a monarchy, hers was a constitutional monarchy. Queen Victoria held significantly more political power than our present-day Queen does, but she did not rule. True power lay in Parliament and its Prime Minister. Being an island nation on the edge of the continent, Britain wasn't really interested in grabbing land in Europe. All she cared about was ensuring peace and tranquility there so as not to disrupt her incredibly lucrative trade with her colonies all over the world. Over the Channel, we have France, who in the 50 years since the defeat of Napoleon had overthrown two kings, established another republic, only to see its president, the nephew of Napoleon Bonaparte, declare himself as Emperor Napoleon III. France had largely managed to restore its prestige post-1815, and it too was establishing a colonial empire all over the world. But her greatest feat came in the rebuilding and cultural aggrandizement of Paris, which by 1870 had established itself as possibly the most important city on the continent. To the east, we have the three great absolutist monarchies, Austria, Prussia and Russia. These three banded together during the Congress of Vienna to form the Holy Alliance, where the three nations bound together to ensure that revolution never again swept the continent by promising to stamp down on liberalism and secularism. The Austrian Empire was the successor to the Holy Roman Empire and was ruled by the Habsburg Emperor Franz Josef, who ruled from 1848 to 1916. Its territory spread from northern Italy in the west to Romania and parts of the Ukraine to the east. It also was one of the two nations that dominated the various kingdoms, principalities and independent cities that made up Germany. But we will get into that in far more detail in episode 2.3, when we discuss Prussia in more detail. As of course, that is the kingdom into which Princess Vicky, our first subject, married into. So we'll therefore skip Prussia for now and move on to Russia, which was the most conservative and absolute of all the monarchies of Europe. Much like the emperors of Germany and Austria, the rulers of Russia at this time did not use the title of emperor. They called themselves Caesar, Kaiser in German and Tsar in Russian. We'll get into far more detail on Russian history when we discuss Tsarina Alexandra or Alex, the wife of Tsar Nicholas II though. These five nations worked together pretty well for the first 40 years or so after the Congress of Vienna, stamping out on any potential fires pretty quickly and keeping the peace between each other effectively. However, Britain played the role that America would later play in the League of Nations, i.e. washing its hands of it and playing no particular role, meaning that eventually things were bound to fall apart, which they did in the 1850s when war once again broke out between the great powers. This was the Crimean War, fought between Britain and France on one side and Russia on the other. Further wars followed, most importantly the various wars of German unification sparked by Prussia, all of which would set the stage for World War I. The thrones of these nations, even before the reign of Queen Victoria, had been interlinked. Since 1714, Great Britain had been ruled by kings and queens of the House of Hanover, starting with King George I. Being ruled by a German house that invariably also married Germans meant that Britain had very strong ties to Germany, and even had a stake in its future, as, until the accession of Queen Victoria, the King of Britain was also the Elector of Hanover. While the sons of George III were almost uniformly awful at producing legitimate children, aside from the Duke of Kent who fathered Queen Victoria, 
their families did marry into the royal families of Prussia, Hesse, Württemberg, and Brunswick, though most of these marriages were deeply unhappy. The Tsars of Russia also tended to look to Germany for their wives, with Nicholas I, Tsar from 1825 to 55, marrying a Prussian, his successor Alexander II marrying a Hessian. Franz Josef of Austria was also not immune to this trend, marrying a Bavarian in 1854, and neither were the Prussian kings, who too tended to marry German princesses. Indeed, Napoleon III of France was rather odd in that he married a Spaniard. This Germanization of the royal families of Europe meant that these nations were not just being held together for political and diplomatic reasons, they were also bound by familial ties. They shared a common language, quite literally in some cases, and this made it easier for Queen Victoria and her husband, naturally also a German, to spread their part-German children around the courts of Europe. Okay, there seems like a good place to leave you for this week. Next time, in two weeks' time, remember, we will take a dive into the early reign of Queen Victoria, her marriage to Prince Albert, and the foundation of this dynastic web that will be the central focus of the second season of The Other Half Podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.